Welcome back to the official pod. We are presented by WinBet. Betting is a team sport. Bet together at WinBet. Eric Allen and Lachey Ducible. Awesome show ahead because C.J. Mosley is going to join yeah. us. What can you say about Mosley this year? The guy has been unbelievable. I mean, what can't you say about <laughs> C.J.? He is the heartbeat of this team, not just the defense. I mean, I think a lot of people had a lot of question marks about him coming into the season after being away from the game for practically two years. Um, but he showed that he picked up right where he left off, looked fresh coming into this season, dropped some weight. But he's been all over the place, over 100 tackles already this season, and has played at a Pro Bowl level, has been one of the few bright spots on this defense, showed his leadership week in and week out, uh, shows that the game means something to him. He cares, and I think other players have fed off of that. So I think fans are going to enjoy our conversation with CJ against the New Orleans Saints. 17 tackles. That's Crazy. a career high. Seventh time this year, double-digit tackles for number 57. And it's crazy, what? Because Quincy what, had 15 like two weeks ago, and that was the high for this season. Yep. CJ said, "You know what? Hold my beer. <laughs> I'm going to two up you this game." And he literally was all over the place against the New Orleans Saints and, and played ter a terrific game. There was plays where he wasn't even responsible for bootlegs, and he was beating the other linebacker to the outside. He was just all over the field for the Jets. Now you would like for him not to have that many reps on defense. But uh, this guy shows up week in and week out. Overall, did the defense step up their game against the New Orleans Saints? There's a couple ways of looking at this. Mm -hmm. If a team has 40-plus rush attempts, you're probably going to lose the game. Of course, the Jets lost the game. Mm -hmm. But up until the point that Taysom Hill yeah. took off late for that 40-plus yard uh, scoring run, I believe the yards per attempt were in the 3.7 yeah, range. Yeah, so – and I, and I said this uh, when I did my show earlier this week on SNY. Like, you know, people were still, like, you know, on the Jets' defense hard. But if you look at what EA just said, right, through three and a half quarters, the Jets' run defense actually played pretty well. Um, besides one drive with Eric Alvin Kamara kind of took over and scored on that touchdown. In the second drive. quarter, yep. yeah. Other than that, they really held this, you know, Saints' running a, rushing attack um, to minimum game. Like, they were averaging under four yards a carry. Robert usually, Sala, in fact, after the game, dude, said that the yards per carry would lead the National Football League, it, it, you know, over the course of a season, season before yeah. the t Taysom Hill Taysom, run. Yeah, yeah, but when, when you break for 40-plus yards, like, that skews your yard per average, yeah. right, because you give them an explosive run. So, I mean, you can't not take that into consideration, but if you just look at most of the game – the Jets' defense answered answered the call, and they played well enough to win that game through three and a half quarters. Um, you just would like them to finish that performance um, and not give up a big explosive run. But for a team that had been so scrutinized because of the run defense, they actually showed up and played quite well against the run on Sunday. No turnovers for the Jets offensively for the first time mm. this season. Uh I know people are going to say, well, you're just looking for silver linings. You scored three <laughs> field goals yeah. from Eddie mm. Pinheiro. Nice job by him in his first outing with the green and that white. Was big. But, but with that being said, <laughs> you do have to hold on to the football. Yeah, 100%. And it was good that they just didn't turn the ball over now. Zach almost had him a pick late in that game uh, to Gardner Johnson. But um, as far as not turning the football over, we've noticed that when the Jets turn it over, like they really don't have a chance to win the game. Sometimes – because of the, the talent barrier between the Jets and other teams, um, you can't lose a turnover battle and expect to win games. And they did a good job taking care of the football. Now, you'd want the Jets 
defense to, to get some turnovers, but you know we knew that they were, the Saints were going to come in running the football. They weren't going to put Taysom Hill in too many crazy situations where he was going to have to throw the ball down the field. So that kind of minimizes your opportunity as far as getting interceptions because if he's not throwing the ball, you can't get interceptions. Uh, the only way you can get turnovers then is to punch the ball out when the ball carrier has the football. So, um, yeah, you, kudos to the Jets offense for not turning the ball over this week. But, again, they, they struggled a lot on offense, didn't have as many opportunities as they did the first half versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, it kind of reminded you of the third quarter um, versus, versus the Philadelphia Eagles last week as far as the offense. And the yeah. long drives defensively. Yeah, the long drives defensively, the offense not getting as many opportunities. And then the, the offense, I believe, three out of the first four drives went three and out. So that minimizes your opportunities also th throwing the football down the field. No flow offensively uh, for the Jets throughout that ball game. Reinforcements on the way, especially mm -hmm. on the offensive side of the ball. Michael Carter, their impressive running back from North Carolina, expected back in the lineup. Michael Carter, the second, mm -hmm. uh, an outstanding nickel for the Jets in his first professional season, expected back. Tevin Coleman, who gave you some juice the previous two games before going out last week using a concussion protocol. He's expected back in Tyler Croft as well. So, wow. One more guy. Who am I? The guy that nobody has been talking about. Oh, your guy, Bryce Hoff. You already uh, know, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think people understand how big of a loss Bryce Hoff was. And it wasn't just in the sack column with the numbers because he was getting to the quarterback and creating havoc the first couple weeks of the season. Then he had that back injury. And the Jets' defensive line has just not been the same. So I'd be interested to see where he is, like his lung capacity, first and foremost, where his back is health-wise, because this guy brings juice off the edge. Yeah, so good news on the injury front. If you were going to vote for a Jets team MVP, this is a big uh, C.J. Mosley uh, podcast here. <laughs> I, I think, hands down, you go Mosley. But if you're going to go on offensive MVP, you know, You'd probably look in Elijah Moore's direction. So uh, I've heard that from a few people, but it's like, can we technically put him in there because the body of work and how many games he's played? I agree. And, and Vera Tucker, I know you've been a, a big fan of his Honestly, game. Honestly, you know oh. who I would go with? George Fent. Wow. George Fent would be my offensive player of the year for the Jets because I don't think anybody expected this. And he's playing probably the most important position on offense besides the quarterback. Like, he's the quarterback's blind side. And he's only given up one sack. Like, this dude has been playing at a high level. So much, in fact, that I believe, and you'll hear this exclusively on Jets podcast, that I believe that they should move Makai Becton to right tackle and keep George Fenn at left. I know it's well, a bombshell. Bombshell right there. Boom. Yes. That, that <laughs> is a bombshell. Because if you look the at the mic this, drop. Yeah, if you look at the scheme, right, yeah. um, I think George Fitt, and I said this all during preseason, he fits perfectly in the scheme as far as what they want to do with the zone and the stretch scheme. And to me, He said as much before the season. He said the system perfectly fits what exactly. I So you're talking about Makai Blackton's athletic, but I think George Fenn is a little bit more quick-footed. So you have him on your left side, and then you want your power tackle for running on your right side. Now, I know you see Elijah Vera Tucker and Makai Blackton, and that you know, just looks beautiful on paper on the left side. But I think if you move Makai Becton to the right side, and most of the offensive tackles, the right tackle is the better blocking running tackle. Okay. I mean, routinely in the NFL, your right tackle is a better run blocking tackle. So you put Makai Becton on the right side, you keep Fenton, Elijah Vera Tucker, where they've been able to build up some chemistry over this 16, well, not 16, but 14-game stretch, 13-game uh, stretch, and you keep them together. And to me, George Fent has earned the right to start at left tackle because – 
for his whole career, EA, he's bounced around so many different positions. He's never had the opportunity to really be comfortable in one spot. He's always been the swing guy. Well, he showed this year he deserves the chance to, to solidify himself as a left tackle. Man, that is something else. So I, I, I'm having trouble. Mike drops on Jets I, podcast. No, I, know, I, I knew, <laughs> obviously, anybody who watches the Jets this season, uh, we go back to week one in Carolina, and Wilson goes down six times, and he takes a big-time beating, and you're wondering, oh, my God, this this line's in trouble. Mekhi yeah. Becton's out of the lineup. He still yeah. has not played since that week one. But Fant has been outstanding. For sure. Uh, organizationally, do you think that's a conversation that they would have? So this is the issue, right? You don't want to have the issue that Baltimore had with Zeus Brown, hmm. right? Where he felt like after Ronnie Stanley got hurt, they moved him left tackle. Now he's like, I'm only a left tackle, which he's actually kind of struggled in Kansas City doing this year. He hasn't played as good as he did when he was in Baltimore. Um, so that's a, a conversation. And the thing is, McCott Beckham played right tackle before. Yes. So it's not like it's something he can't do. The thing is, can he mentally handle being moved to right tackle, not as a slight, but as we just want to get our best players in the position where they can be successful. Not just saying he can't be a left tackle, but when Fan has played at the level that he's played at, I feel like he deserves the right to be a left tackle, and you move Makai back to the right. But this is why my argument is the Jets are not that far away. Yes, 3-10 and ten heading into these final four games in Robert Sala's first year, but that offensive line, it's a big if. Mm-hmm. Becton comes back. He showed He's you a lot. He, he showed you a lot as a rookie. Definitely has to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get to Connor McGovern while we're talking about the offense. He's played line. well. He said by far this is his best season. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I, you know, I like the I like the Lindenbaum kid from Iowa. Yep. And I think he can solidify. You've been talking this, him up. Yeah, I think he can solidify his offensive line. But Connor McGovern has has played and earned the right too to to start next year. Now the thing is, he has some versatility. He's been able to play guard before, so you could slide him to guard, and then you're talking about maybe him and LDT or somebody else battling it out. Um, there's a couple of free agents out there. I think Connor Williams becomes a free agent for the Dallas Cowboys this year. Really good young guard. Um, so now you're talking about you know two guys potentially battling it out. You know Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be your starter at left guard no matter what. And, but the thing is, you want to have depth, right? Because as we've seen this mm. year, you're most likely going to lose one or two players for a couple of games. you got to have somebody that can step in. And a lot of times these backups are getting paid 4 or $5 million too because, uh, you know, NFL is 100% injury rate. So you want to have that depth. And I think that's what had a lot of people excited going into this season when we thought Alex Lewis was going to be here and then – you had GVR, you had McGovern. We were like, we actually finally have some depth. So, like, if somebody goes down, you know, we had Morgan Moses come in. He was going to be our third tackle. We yeah, tough depth. blow for Cam- Cameron then, Clark out there in training camp. Yeah, as well. and then Clark was another guy, a young guy that we thought was going to, you know, build on his rookie season. And then he gets hurt, had a, you know, freakish, scary-looking injury. Makai yeah. um, Beckton goes down in the first game. Um, Alex Lewis decides to retire. So now you're like, damn, where's the depth? <laughs> so now, now, like, if you get LDT back, um, you know, you got McGovern, you end up getting the kid from Iowa in the first round and maybe another free agent. Now you're talking about depth on this offensive line, and that's what the Jets need. And Morgan Moses has stepped up. I would sign him back as well, too, on a, another one-year deal. Um, he's a veteran guy. 
that you'd love steady. your tackles if you're coming back again with oh, a, a steady healthy Eddie. Steady Eddie is uh, what Morgan Moses has been. But uh, a healthy Becton plus Fant in another Moses, year of Morgan Moses would be something else. You, you take that all day, and and the reason why you sign a guy like Morgan Moses, even though you paid Fant the year before, is because of situations that happened this year when you lose Makai Becton. Like your swing tackle, a lot of times you'll use him in six offensive lineman sets, but also. He's treated like a starter because most likely he's going to play maybe six games each year. So you have to you got to think six games is more than a quarter of a season. So that guy has to be able to come in and not have any drop off when playing that position. So I mean, you got to have three viable good tackles on your team for you to have a chance. But that's my argument why I think the Jets aren't that far away. The big piece of this is Zach Wilson. We'll be talking about <laughs> him in a second. That's the major piece. We'll yeah. be talking about him in a second. But yeah. Michael Carter, the running back, has been a tremendous in year one. Tevin Coleman's given you some juice from that mm-hmm. position. You've seen some other guys step up in the offensive backfield as well. Uh, Elijah Moore has become the guy. Uh, we've seen yeah. that offensively. Uh, Corey Davis said did some good things for you this season, especially early in early the year. In the year yeah. Earlier in the year, right? Um, and, yeah, and, the issue with that too is those guys haven't stayed healthy as well either. Yeah. So you're talking about adding. We definitely got to add another play, a pass catcher. Um, yep. Maybe a true number one if we can't get it free agency. There's some good kids uh, coming up in the draft. The Wilson kid from Ohio State. I like the London kid from USC. Both of these guys. Olave is another really good receiver. Um, and Ohio State so out there. Have it's an NFL group of wideouts yeah. every week. You can't. You cannot have enough good pass catcher, right? And for a team to to have true success in the NFL, and most teams, you got to have a true number one, right? So I think the Jets are thinking Elijah Moore could potentially be a true number one, but there's nothing wrong with trying to find another true number one via free agency or the draft because that's only going to open up things more for Elijah Moore. So uh, it, it, I think it certainly would. Going. Go get another big time receiver. All right, there. so but but going back to my line <laughs> argument, you got Quinn and Williams who showed mm. a lot of toughness against uh, New Orleans. Goes down yes. shoulder injury. Are going to play this week too? Yeah, a lot of guys would opt out. Maybe say, you know what, it's just not my day. He gets the harness on. He's got five million reasons to continue. To play. <laughs> so Q's out there. <laughs> uh, Sheldon Rankins has done some nice things for you this season. We'll see what happens with Fulleronto Fadakasi. I believe yeah, the final year, free, yeah. yeah, final year of his contract on the outside. John Franklin Myers obviously wrapped up uh, with the long-term deal, six sacks this year. You're hoping Carl Lawson comes back 100, percent and mm-hmm. that would just completely change the dynamic. I feel bad for Jets fans. I had the opportunity to watch him throughout the spring and the summer. He looked like a game changer. Yeah. You're gonna have an ability there early in the draft probably to take the top defensive pass rusher on the board at that point, right? I don't think so. I no? think I think Aiden Hutchinson is going number one overall. No, I'm saying one of the top three. Oh, I so guess. you're going to get, yeah. So let's just say you're the third yeah, pick. You're going to get one of the top three deep defensive the, linemen and, in the draft and for sure. we're talking, we're, we're going to do our draft deep dive. We promise <laughs> that. Yeah. But – it might go in that direction where yeah. you're going to, to the edge there early in the draft. I, I think the Jets will go edge, right, depending on where they're at. If Does Hutchinson go number one to Detroit? He's going number one overall to Detroit. Okay. For one, <laughs> it just makes sense, right? You got a Michigan local guy, yes. like s- ticket sales. They need a defensive end. I think Jared Goff has played good enough to be the starting quarterback next year. And then also if you look at the draft, there's no quarterbacks that are really slated to go in the top two. I just now. don't see it. There will be one, I guarantee you, just like the year – where Brick Bortles went three overall to Jacksonville. Somebody's going to reach up and come get a quarterback, somebody they like through evaluation. Good thing is I believe all of the top quarterbacks are going to the Senior Bowl 
in Mobile, so they'll really be able to evaluate these quarterbacks because it's not like one of these quarterbacks is a, a solidified top five pick where they like I don't have to go to the Senior Bowl. Like all these guys want to go out there and prove that they deserve to be the top quarterback in this. But draft. you think one quarterback goes in the top ten? I not necessarily one. top five. No, not top five. Yeah. But I think somebody's going to trade up and get one in the top ten for sure. So on paper, again, I just get excited thinking about the draft. I think everybody does. Yeah. It, we should not forget about free agency. Be, uh, be, because 208 to, million. Yes. Like, that's a big number. And that's going to have a lot of cap space. They'll probably be able to maybe even tweak some, you know, some contracts, maybe restructure some contracts and even have even more money. And the thing is, when you got a rookie quarterback, you're not paying all that money to the quarterback. So you have a lot of wiggle room this year to add some significant pieces to develop your team. Yeah, and, and, and so we go back to the defensive line, and if you get one of those top-edge players there early, that defensive line should be awfully solid next season. Yeah. And you should be very encouraged about where you are from the offensive line. So let's get to the big piece here. Zach Wilson. He's got four games remaining. Uh, tough outing against the Saints. Yeah. Couple drops there early in the game. The offense never established any flow. Um, Robert Sala was stressing his eyes. Decision-making, he said, was fine. It was more his eyes this week. Yeah, and it's, it's got to be big um, this week as well because, right, the Saints – I mean, the Dolphins do kind of what the Saints do as far as blitzing and playing a lot of man coverage. Now, the thing is, the Dolphins are a little bit more exotic in the way they blitz because they'll they'll blitz the house and drop two defensive linemen and bring two safeties off the edge. So you just got to know where to go with the football. And I think that's what Joe Flacco did a really good job of, except for that one time in the red zone where he had the sack fumble and the Jets missed out on getting points potentially right there. I think the Jets should have won that game. They should have won. And just hearing – the players on the team, I think they're excited to play this game. Like we talked to Elijah Vera Tucker after that game, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm excited to play them again." Like I think they feel like they let one get away. Um, and, and the old saying goes, "More games are lost in the NFL than won." Uh, the Jets definitely lost that game with you know pivotal penalties and pivotal points in the game, and just not playing smart all the time. So uh, I believe the Jets are excited to get down to Miami and play this division foe, looking for their first division win in what two years? Yes, almost. Um, so like that's since that's another definitely since nineteen because yeah. uh, last year you did not have a division exactly win. so like they're definitely like chomping at the bit to, to win a division game and play a division foe in a game where they felt like they let one slip away so if you're Zach Wilson you just yeah there's gonna be some looks that are look crazy out there there's gonna be like seven people at the line of scrimmage he might only rush three and drops drop four he might rush five or six and drop two D linemen so. You just got to know where how to be efficient with the ball. Get the ball out of your hand. Be decisive. I think that was the problem with Lamar Jackson when they played them the first time. Like, he didn't have a hot read. He didn't know where to go with the football, and that's why he struggled. And teams have struggled the last few weeks with Miami Dolphins doing this. Now, a big piece of that is Javon Holland. Like, he is like their joker piece back there. He kind of does everything for them, and he potentially could miss this game on the COVID protocol uh, reserve list. So, We'll see what happens on Sunday. Again, this is Tuesday, like we always say. We don't know who's going to be up and down for this game. Man, you are all over it. We're going to bring in (laughs) C.J. Mosley here momentarily. Betting is a team sport. Bet together at WinBet. And then, uh, you know, at the end, we're going to talk about Jets, Dolphins, a game preview after C.J. I I wanted to talk about what you just mentioned about Holland. The Jets this week, virtual meetings. Mm. Um, so they will not be at the facility together as one indoor inside up until the point to get on a plane to go down to South Florida. Yep. 
Uh, are you worried not just from a Jets perspective, but what's happening with the league right now as we see the cases spike up again? I mean, you're worried, period, for health reasons, right? Because, yep. like you said, I believe yesterday, EA, 37 players tested positive for COVID. And with this new variant and new strain out there, like, it's something to be worried about. But as far as the preparation for Sunday, I'm not worried because this is what teams had to deal with the last year and a half. So it's old hat. It's old habits. Like, like last year, a lot of meetings were virtual besides just practices and walkthroughs at the facility. So this is something that even guys in college went through. So even if rookies on this team, they dealt with this last year in college with even more players. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I'm not worried as far as the preparation, but I am a little nervous about this health scare and, and you know, kind of a lot of experts said that it could be a potential spike during the winter and cold months. So I, I think we're starting to see that happening now, and it's, it's a little worrisome. Yeah, Austin Walter and Ronnie Blair didn't play Sunday, and Blair was a practice squad elevation on Saturday due to illness, yeah. non-COVID illness, I believe. Yeah. So, uh, for, yeah, that's another thing, right? It's not just COVID. It's flu season right now. So, like, right. so non-COVID flu like, is, is, is a dangerous thing as y- well. Yeah, we're seeing it a lot. And then uh, people are going to have families in town for the exactly. holidays and friends, and there's going to be gatherings and things like that. So it's something everybody, not just the New York Jets, are going to have to deal with. And like you mentioned, it's a, it's a global thing. Yeah. Uh, it, not a pandemic anymore. Uh, what are they calling this? An endemic? It's just something that we will deal with the rest of of our time. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's going to be an end to it. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, hey, listen, but there is light. <laughs> there, is yeah. li- there is light at the end of the tunnel. We got football. We got Christmas coming up. There's going to be uh, some presents under the tree. And speaking mm-hmm. of presents under the tree, let's get to C.J. Mosley. WinBet is now live in New Jersey, and they're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports, from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. They have what you need to win. Sign up today to receive a special offer, risk-free $500 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. WinBet, an official sportsbook and gaming partner of the New York Jets. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-270-7117. CJ Mosley, you've done a lot of things in the National Football League, but never before 17 tackles like you had against the Saints. Can you talk about that ball game? And did you realize your tackle number was way up there? Um, yeah, well, to start with the second uh, question, I had no idea how many tackles I had. Um, I didn't know until you know, I was in the cold tub doing my like my normal routine after the game. Then Quincy tub like, hey, man, you you had seventeen tackles, man. You know that's how, that's how you be talking. So um, it was it was cool to find that out. Um, it was funny because the well prior to this game, my my first highs was fifteen. It was against New Orleans as well. So. I guess I just you know have a good game against them, but um, I felt I felt like I was seeing 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 the game really well, um, you know, seeing seeing things happen before before the play snap. Um, so man, I you know this this type of year, you know, you when you think about teams and defenses, you wanna you wanna be playing at your best ball, you know, December January when it starts to get cold. So you now I've just been trying to you know focus you know every week every day on trying to get better at my craft, um, finding new ways. That I can, you know, uh, you know, manipulate offenses through our defense, and you know, trying to cheat different gaps, things like that, trying to advance my craft. So, you know, um, you know, just happy to see the the, the product, productivity working out. CJ, you just mentioned Quincy Williams. Talk about his development because I believe he had the season high in tackles for a game at 15. I believe two weeks prior to this. And then you you told him to hold your beer and you're gonna you're gonna get 17 this week. Um, but just talk about the development of like Quincy Williams next to you at the linebacker position. 
Uh, it's been great, and uh, the main the main thing is his confidence level. Um, he's he's talking more. He's talking more with his teammate. Um, you know, he's making checks with me, so that helps out a lot. I don't have to talk as much, but um, you know, just he's he's a very fast player. Um, and he and he's very reactive, instinctive. So um, you know, once once he starts to see the game slow down, he's going to be that more deadly. Uh, it won't take him those few extra steps to get to where he needs to be. He'll already be there on top of you know the speed and and the power that he has. So. Uh, you know, we're just going to continue to work together, uh, continue to keep trying to build our, our foundation in our linebacker room, you know, just keep this this duo going. How do you view this season individually? We talk about your tackle total against the Saints, but that's not an anomaly, CJ. You've had seven games of 10-plus tackles. Um, you know, I just try to be at the ball at every play. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough on some occasions. You know, you get long, long drives here and there. But, you know, you just pride yourself off running to the ball and being physical. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I consider myself still an old school style linebacker with my mentality. You know, um, you know I'm all about, you know, the, the contact, the power. And uh, when, when I'm asked to, you know, be in coverage, you know, I, I play my part in that role. But, you know, linebackers are built on, you know, game wrecking, game wrecking plays and also being able to change the game, you know, within the game. You know, you, you look at stats and that sometimes can be misconstrued. You see, you know, a lot of tackles, but, you know, you don't see the interceptions or the sacks and, you know, those things. But um, that being a middle linebacker, you know, so much more, and, um, you know, just the, the technical part of the game, the, the mental part of the game, knowing what the offense is giving you, knowing what they're trying to um, do to you throughout the game and how they're trying to change up and show different coverages and different, uh, different pre-snap looks, and um, I, I enjoy that part of the game. Uh, the physical part, you know, that will come and go. Uh, my, my body will know when it's when it's done. But uh, as far as the mental part, you know, I feel like I'm one of the smartest linebackers in this league, and I and I pride myself on you know trying to trying to study the opponent and and trying to tell myself like who can I outstudy on the other side of the ball to try to you know get in the best position I can be in. CJ, as the leader and heartbeat of this team, as a veteran guy that's played a lot of years in this league, what is the mindset going into these last four games as you as a leader that you want to instill into this young team uh, find something to get better at whether whether it's in your own game whether it's something that you're just you're trying to study whether it's you know a new play that come in that you want to perfect because you know that you're going to get the ball in that possession you know just what whatever you can do to to mentally and physically make yourself just that much better each day i think that's going to uh, put us in the right direction because, I mean, obviously, we know we're not going to the playoffs. We, we know, you know the season is pretty much done for the most part. But if you come to work with that mindset, you know, nothing's going to happen. You know, you're going to you're going to um, degress and you're not going to do anything. But if you come to work and say, all right, when I get to meetings, uh, when we get to this play, I want to make sure I'm in the right spot every time for this play. Or, you know, if when you go to meetings, um, I want to write this this X amount of notes down, a, a certain certain key thing I want to look at. If you're thinking about that and not really thinking about, you know, the the results of of how things are going to go, you're going to find yourself getting better each day, and um, your teammates going to see you and, and want to do better because when when they see you still grinding and not really looking at uh, all the outside noise, uh, that's going to make them want to do better. And that's also also may, might make them curious, you know, like oh, like what what do you see on this play? Like why why did you do the things that you do? Um, on, on when that times come, so it's just just little things like that um, to try to take your mind off um, off the obvious and try to make yourself um, be a better player, a better person each day. You are a next level thinker. There's no doubt about that. And you said recently, I truly believe that this is a building block 
that is going to make a strong foundation of what we have to come. Why did you say that? Um, just, just what I believe. Um, and, you know, that's what Coach Sala and uh, everybody has been, been saying from the beginning. You know, his, his um, mindset and his, his story hasn't changed at all. You know, um, it's been a lot of times where he could, you know, back down or, you know, say something different about uh, how he feel about this team and, you know, where, where he believes we can go and the steps that we can take. But at the end of, at the end of every statement that he makes like that to us, he, he tells us, you know, it's, it's up to us. So it's, it's up to the guys in our room, it's up to the guys in this building and the women in this building. It's, um, it's up to everybody. Um, you got you to gotta have a, a certain type of trust and, and faith when you walk past, you know, the, the, from the lowest to the highest person in the building. Like they have to know that you're here for a certain reason. I have to know that that, that person is here for a certain reason. And when, when you start to see that and feel that, that's when, that's when you will start seeing things really change. So um, like, like I said, far as far as me personally, you know, um, my, my chip on my shoulder for this week is I feel like I, I, I lost the game against Miami the, the first time we played them on that last play. So, you know, I, when I come to work every day, that's that's my mindset. I'm not going to be the one to, to lose this game. So, I mean, that's my chip and, and everybody's going to going to see that and feel that when I when I'm here this week. And hopefully that rubs off on people the right way. I love, I love that mindset. Let's talk about something that you said a few weeks ago. You talked about respect and certain teams not quote unquote respecting the Jets. How do you change that mindset on the field and in the locker room? Uh, well, the easiest way to do it is to win, uh, which is also the hardest way to do it. So, um, and with that being said, you know, that it starts off, you know, from you know, your, your first day, which is, you know, for us on Mondays, you know, coming in, getting your treatment, getting your body right to make sure that you're available for Sunday and um, and just taking taking certain steps in the way you study and the, and the way you, you know, listen and learn the meetings. So um, each, each guy individually trying to get better at their craft, which in turn will make the team better. And which results in wins and, you know, us you know, communicating and, you know, doing the right things on the field, not to lose games, not to beat ourselves, you know, playing um, foul free football. So, you know, all those all those different things that builds that builds up to get to a team win. So um, it's, it's easy to go out there on Sunday and battle and, and fight and try to claw and get a victory. But, um, you know, most games are won or lost by, by your preparation and doing the right things. After you were drafted, legendary Alabama coach Nick Saban said, C.J. Mosley is one of the finest football players and finest people I've ever had the opportunity to coach. This guy actually makes more plays on a football field, plays faster, reacts more quickly than anybody than I've ever had the opportunity to coach. Uh, Saban's a tough dude. Those are big words of praise. Do you have any funny Nick Saban stories you can share with us? Uh, well, since he gave me so much praise in, in that statement, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll say that, you know, the way the way he treated everybody, um, every player really, you know, really held on to me. Um, and mainly from my freshman year, you know, I wasn't you know, getting a lot of playing time. I was more of a nickelbacker special team. So you know, uh, like any other any other player would do, you you start to you know ease off and kind of not study and things of that nature. So we was playing against Duke, um, and I was I was in on it was one of our dime packages. You know, the back flared out, and I I blitzed and take him. And <laughs> just as soon as I got to the sideline, he was on me. So I was like, man, okay. I thought you know I'm a freshman. This ain't no big deal. Um, and you know he he handed it to me, and then I, and that stuck with me ever since that day. I was like, all right. Uh, he gonna treat he gonna treat me just like I was a senior and I was a starter and that that really made me start studying a lot more as a freshman and really learning um, 
like just the package I was in. I wasn't in on that the, the whole defense because that, that Alabama playbook is, is something serious. So you have to, you know, really be on your P's and Q's to, to really, you know, do something that defense, especially as a linebacker, because at that time with Kirby Smart, um, they, they really trusted me as I, you know, got older and learned the defense. And that's when I really started, you know, make checks and and um change up the change up the defensive line and things of that nature when I when I saw something because they they gave me the power to do so and they trust me to do it and they you know they taught me how to you know see see the def- I mean see the offense and see you know certain formations so I mean it's a lot of stuff I learned through um coach Saban and um that coaching tree you know his background and all that so I mean I, I was very very blessed to be at Alabama um I always say that because I was able to take my family a lot of places that that I wouldn't be able to go if I wasn't there and with the accomplishments that we had um, you know, I always appreciate everything that he do. And, you know, my brother's back at Alabama uh, this year as a GA. So, I mean, it's just, you know, a lot of good things that come for that when you do the right thing. So, um, um, definitely, definitely um, always in my heart. That's an awesome story, dude. That's an amazing story. Talking about Alabama, man, you guys had a big win in the SEC championship game the other day. Number one seed in the playoffs. I mean, is it going to be back-to-back years, CJ? Um, it's it's looking good so far. You know, it's looking good. Um <laughs> No, they they tried to. I knew they was gonna try to make a big, a big scenario, a big deal about the SEC championship game. Um, obviously, you know Alabama and Georgia going back at it, you know, year after year. But um, you, at the end of the day, you gotta look at it as it's the next opportunity. Um, it just happens to be, you know, just have to have a ring and the title on it, you know. So, but if you, you know prepare, prepare like it's the next game, you prepare like it's the next opponent that you're supposed to face, and you go about it with the right attitude. Um, usually, you know, you come out with the with the moral and and the team victory. So. I'm sure they're going to be on the same same mindset, the same page as you know. The, this is next opponent up. They're going to you know, study their butts off and practice right, and you know get get back to it. So I definitely expect to see them in the national championship again. Uh, let, let's go big picture Jets here. 2014, you play with Baltimore. You're in the playoffs that first season. I believe 15-16, the Ravens finished third and second out of the playoffs, and then you eventually made it back to the playoffs in 2018, your last season. How did it flip there? And can you talk about the importance of culture in Baltimore and the importance of culture here as you guys try to flip it? Um, I would say, you know, it's, it mainly started off with the with the core guys in the group. Um, you know, when you get to a team that's, then you can be very fortunate to have coaches that are, that have been together for a long time, players that have been together for a long time, and I was happy to be drafted into that into that type of environment, and um, it, it played off well. And um, a lot of guys knew knew how to play off each other. Um, they can make certain checks and make certain looks, or do small hand gestures, and just be on the same page. And the same thing with coaches, um, working things out on the sideline mid game. Um, going through adjustments and game plans during the season uh, with each other, it was it was a um, it was cool to see and, and cool to be a part of. So um, I feel I feel like the the times that we were eliminated from the playoffs and and still fought our way back the next year and bounced back is um is really guys having that taste. You know, like we know what we can do. We 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 really feel that if we're doing the right things, that we can uh, be a championship football team. And um, that's that's what I've been you know, saying this whole year. You know, we got to we got to believe that. Um, and obviously we're young. So a lot of guys haven't experienced those playoff experiences or been in those games where, um, you know, those regular season games really mean something once you get towards the end of the season or these December football games really mean something when you're trying to you know fight for home field advantage or trying to you know win your win your conference so you can you know get to the playoffs. But, you know, in, in due time that will come. But um, that's 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 mainly, you know, down the road when you got a finished product and 
we're at the steps where we need to we need to find out you know you know who who really wants to be here to try to try to change something because you know change is always hard no matter uh, what what job you have or what part of life you're in uh, when people are comfortable or people use a certain situation it's hard to to really change someone's mindset especially when um when the change is it's easier to come when you when you're seeing it and right now we're not we're not seeing those victories we're not seeing those those little things those little wins here and there so you know, um, it's it's hard to believe when you can't see, but you know, I I, I believe it, and I believe um, that that the core guys that we have and our young group that we have can really turn this around and be and be special because you don't always have to have a big name to come in the building. You always have to have a big name to to um, show show out and make the game changer play. Uh, you can have those players that don't have the name that make a name for themselves because I feel like that's what I did. It was a a lot of players that you know that were great at at Baltimore, but at the end of the day, you know, I I made a name for myself um, through through big games. I made a name a name through myself and just being consistent and you know trying to do the right things. CJ, let's talk about the upcoming opponent, the Miami Dolphins. They're on a five game win streak. You guys saw them earlier <clears> in the year. On defense, everybody talks about the RPO game that the Miami Dolphins bring with their zone, split zone, and, you know, the flat route and then the split slant coming off of that. What is one thing besides that that you guys feel like on defense you got to take away from this Miami Dolphins offense? Uh, well, it always starts with the run game, and um, it's no secret that we've that we struggled with that. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, they start off trying to run the ball and, and in turns with that get the quarterback movement and the RPO off that. So – you know, our first steps is always to to control the run game, and um, once once that happens, then we can really let loose and you know um, switch up our our third down and our second down looks. Um, but you no, know, we with that in the run game, and I would say uh, the deep ball. So um, off the RPO, off the play action, um, off the the bounce cuts when they're trying to you know get to the flat and get people out. Um, as far as eliminate you know those big plays um, to extend drives. You ready for that heat and humidity? <laughs> Yeah, I'm always ready. I mean, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm from Alabama, so I, I know this, <laughs> I understand what it's going to be like. So uh, a little extra IV maybe here and there, but we'll we'll be ready. Yeah, we were actually talking about that because I was telling EA when we played there in 13 and 14, like I'm from Florida, so I'm used to the heat. But when you've been up in the winter, you know, for two, yeah. three months, you go down there late December, it's 75, it feels like 110. So I was telling them, like, it's big that you, you know, Talk to some of these young guys. Let them know hydration starts today, right? You mm -hmm. can't wait till Friday to get hydrated. Um, so, like, what what has been the message, you know, this week, just to prepare to get ready for Miami and deal with some of that humidity? Yeah, that was that was the first message. Actually, we got that message Monday. Start your hydration now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm staying hydrated. Um, uh, like I mentioned, you know, at the beginning of this, you know, guys, making sure that we that we really focus on what we need to do to get better. Um, not not more so like the the season the outcome and those things of that nature because that's you'll get lost in that big picture you have to you know control what you can control first and that's you know what you do on and off the field and if guys come to work with that mindset um you know this week i feel we're going to be in a good position to get a victory can we end it right here what happens on tuesday with the defense because you guys don't have mm -hmm. any organized meetings but you as players get together don't you Correct. Uh, we just, you know, we just watch film on our on our next opponent. We might throw on a, a a TV copy of a game that you know that they recently played, or from a or from a defense that's similar to ours, and try to see you know the little things that they that they do here and there. So it's really just to get a little head start on on our opponent and 
you know, guys, you know, congregate, you know, get out, get the rookies, get our breakfast, you know, little things like that, and just to hang out and, you know, really um, bond with each other and, and try, you know, try to get better in life and on the, on the football field. What did you have for breakfast today? And who got it? Uh, we uh, we usually have bagels or, you know, some of the guys get, get a little uh, – some, some McGriddles. So uh, guys usually go for the McGriddles or, or they get um, Chick-fil-A, a Chick-fil-A biscuit. So that's always, that's always a good go-to. It's <laughs> a win for sure. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Thanks so much, CJ. Appreciate yes, you. Thank you. Thank you all. Appreciate you. WinBet is now live in New Jersey, and they're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports, from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. They have what you need to win. Sign up today to receive a special offer, risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. WinBet, an official sportsbook and gaming partner of the New York Jets. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-270-7117. Great stuff from the Jets' heartbeat on defense. The heartbeat inside the locker room, C.J. Mosley. Jets, Dolphins this weekend in South Florida. As a player, is that difficult going down and playing in that heat and humidity in December, or is it something that you welcome? There was such a change for your body, you know? I don't think anybody welcomes that when you've been up here in the cold. It's been like 30, 40 degrees, and even 75, you know, degrees is hot to you when you've your body has, you know, been acclimated to the cold weather. Now, I'm from Florida, and, you know, I'm used to the heat. I still live in Fort Lauderdale in the offseason when I was playing. So, like, I enjoyed going down there, but we, for yeah, some I'd reason, yeah, I say so. I'm sure you yeah, do. We, yeah, we, did, we never <laughs> lost down there. So, uh, like when we played there, it would always be late December, like the last game of the year, and literally, yeah, I kid you not, going through warmups, dudes would be coming out of their pads, and this is like it's only like 75 degrees, yeah. but the humidity, again, when you've been up in 20, 30 degree weather. Going down to Florida when it's 75 feels like it's literally 110 degrees. So what do you have to do? There's so, nothing you can do out here on the practice field. Yeah, so like what me, Dave Harris, and Calvin Patients do, we used to get on this elevation bike, right? And we would just ride for like 20 minutes every day after practice with like at 10,000 feet, you know, just for our lungs. So you to took it to the it. mountains. Yeah, we took it to yeah. the mountains, man, just because it's going to be hard to breathe. Now, it's not the same exact thing because the air is thinner, but it helps with the lung capacity. Um, but there's nothing you can do to prepare except for hydrate. Like, literally, your hydration has to start today. Like, you cannot wait till Friday to try, try to start hydrating to play down in Miami, Florida. It's going to be too late then. Um, try to get you some IVs through the week, some vitamin IVs. Like, do whatever you can hydration-wise because there's no way you can uh, account for that heat and humidity. Again, 75 degrees down there in Florida feels like winter to everybody that lives down there. But when you've been in 20 and 30 degree weather for two, three months, it's it feels like 110 degrees. Uh, I went to grad school at the University of Florida. I love my time down in Gainesville. Uh, I love training down there. Yeah. Uh, but you're talking about big dudes, too, on both sides Man. of the line of scrimmage. I'm talking like literally like it was so bad. EA, when we <laughs> I remember we played down there <laughs> in 13 and 14, literally both years. It was the last game of the season. I want to say after like two reps in team. Everybody was coming out their jersey, like just sweating, breathing hard. You know, usually you want to get like a quick good pop in yeah. just so you can get mentally. Everybody was like, I'm going to just put my hands on you, bro. I just got to breathe. The thing is, you just you got to catch that second wind early, man, because if, if you can't catch that second wind, you were in trouble in Miami. So Miami notoriously would wear the light jerseys, especially in, in September, and put you in the darker jerseys, right? Because yeah. 
because of the uh, sun. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Now, since this is a middle to late December game, is it more of an advantage for the Dolphins to play at home in December or September? Is it December because – I would say this December yeah. just because everywhere else is so cold, yeah. you know, and it's still it's like 75, so it feels good to them. But, again, play teams that are coming from the north, which is still crazy to me that the AFC East is – Three North teams and one Southern team. Like, it makes you still know. can't wrap your head around that, wrap. huh? They should be in the AFC South, and then they should maybe move the Colts into the AFC East. Like, oh, they're going to bring the Colts or, back. Or you put the Colts in the AFC North, and you put Baltimore in the AFC East. That just makes more sense to me. It does. but like I don't know why they haven't done that yet. You got two, three teams in the North. You got Buffalo, New England, and s- the Jets, and then you got Miami Dolphins. Okay, dude. Makes absolutely no I, sense. I don't <laughs> I don't want to sound like the old man here, but you don't care about the rivalries? Jets, Dolphins. I, be, I feel like the Dolphins rivalry compared to, like, the Jets and Patriots or the Buffalo. Yeah. It's not the same, right? Because um, – I'm thinking about like, Marino. Yeah, that's way And Kenny O, 51-45, 1986, so also, the Mud Bowl. Just like, just like the geographical – it just don't make sense geographically. Like, literally, there's a team in Florida and everybody else is in New York or Massachusetts. So like, you would put Baltimore in the AFC East. It makes sense, especially even for traveling. And then also for, like, teams that are playing similar weather games, you know. Because you look at everybody else, right? You look at the NFC West, and this is before, even before, you know, the Rams went back to L.A. They were in a dome in St. Louis. Yeah. So you're talking about Seattle, Arizona. And Seattle gets cold, but it's the West Coast, so it's, it's still not, like, terribly bad. Arizona, L.A., and the 49ers, they all have similar weather, like, the AFC, uh, NFC South, all those teams, Carolina, Atlanta, Tampa, all similar weather. I didn't think then, we were going to be talking about realignment today. <laughs> now you're talking about the Miami Dolphins in the, in the AFC East with three other teams at the top of the North, not just in the middle. They're at the top of the North, like New York and Boston. Like, makes no sense, but I digress. Um, no, I love the conversation. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to go here. I've but been saying it for years. I was like, they need to move the, the Colts to the, to the North. Right, because if you look at Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, they're in that same Midwest. Area. Well, well, they're not Sin- Midwest. well, Cincinnati's closer to Indianapolis, yes. But no, you keep Cincinnati in there. That's what I'm saying. So no, you I Cincinnati. know that's where you got more of a but natural. That's what I'm saying since yeah. everybody's in yeah. that same area, Baltimore's all the way to the east, so it would make sense they're off the water for them to be in the AFC East and not in the North. <laughs> Man, that would be tough, though. That, we'll talk about an organization marked by stability for the last couple of decades. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that division would be crazy. You're I talking mean, about both, that? both divisions. I mean, because you're, you're substituting the Colts for the Ravens, who the Colts have even with Andrew Luck were going to the playoffs, like and Peyton Manning were going to the playoffs. So you're talking about an organization that has stability. So you're t- you're taking one good team and you're replacing it with another. Granted, the AFC East would be a lot harder. Hell yeah. Can you imagine that division? New England looks like they got it set up again where they're going to be a good team for a while. They should be. Uh, uh, Buffalo, uh, while they're going to scuffle to make the playoffs, if they do make the playoffs. They're going to be good, though. Josh Allen's a pretty good quarterback there. And then you're going to bring Lamar Jackson Jackson. in the AFC East? And the AFC South would probably get a lot worse, though. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. well, I, who knows? The Colts, everybody thought the Colts were, were done in the beginning of the year, and they made a run. I mean, I did leave granted, them for that. Granted, Miami was 10-6 and six last year, didn't make the playoffs, and they looked like they could mess around and go at least 9-8 and eight this year. So, My, you never know. So, Miami? It'd be Miami, Jacksonville, Jacksonville Houston, and Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Tennessee's sitting there. But honestly, sign me up for that. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, it wouldn't have made no difference in the beginning. It, I would say through the first six weeks of the season, people were looking at Indianapolis like they were looking at Miami. So they were kind of looking at them as like the same type of team. Yeah, but this is people got to stop thinking about Indianapolis like it's Peyton Manning and they but got even they got free. Though they were good. No, I know, but it was still built in that kind of formula around the quarterback. We got speed players, and then defensively, we're undersized. We're going to rush the quarterback because we're going to get a lead on you. This team is. This team should be playing at Buffalo. If you watch the Colts, yeah. especially offensively, they, beat them last year in the playoffs. they are ground and pound. Yeah. Jonathan Teller, that offensive line. So they belong in the AFC? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> AFC North. North. Exactly. Oh, damn. What has the AFC North always been a, a, a synonymous with? Running the football yeah. and playing good defense. Like The Colts would fit perfectly in with that right now. Yeah. Now, they're deep. they give up a lot of yards, but they, they, they get turnovers. They're the number one team in forcing turnovers. There are few players that I enjoy watching more than Darius Leonard. The maniac, <laughs> man. The maniac. Uh, okay, so we're solving a lot of NFL's, uh, <laughs> a lot of the NFL's yeah, problems let's, here. Let's get what, back to Miami, I guess. Is it, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Who do you got Saturday night, though? I like that game. Indianapolis hosting See, that's, that's New England. a good game because, right, it's strength on strength. You got, you got two teams that run the ball effectively and mm. two teams that turn – get you to turn the football over. So it's whatever quarterback makes the least mistakes is most likely going to win that game. And we know that both of those quarterbacks don't turn the ball over. Like, they did in the beginning of the year, but the last seven, eight weeks of the season, they were they don't turn the football over. Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, Max not going to turn it over. You're not going to turn it over. Yeah. I'm not going to turn it over when we're so it's, throwing it's, it three times. That potentially could be like a 7-10 game. And you think? That's going to be a slobber knocker. <laughs> Like, like it's gonna be nine on seven, literally every single play. Because you got to think about it, right? Again, the Colts force the more turnovers than any other team in the NFL. That's secondary for New England. I'm not putting Carson Wentz against that. No. Like, it's gonna be an ugly game. We get into the fourth quarter, and we're gonna try to still, still one at the end. And it's probably both teams' mentalities right now. Jets, Dolphins. How do the Jets go down there and steal one, get their first division win? Uh, like you mentioned, since mm. 19. And the first division win under Robert Sala, this was a game. Robert Sala, after that first one, oh, man, he, he, uh, he was pissed. <laughs> he was pissed. Yeah. And he should be, right? He because talked about, he brought out the line, 90% of teams lose in the National Football League. We lost today. Yeah, they just lost that game for sure. Like, you can't have pivotal penalties and, and bonehead penalties at pivotal marks. Can't turn it over inside the red Can't zone. Can't turn the ball over inside the red zone. You're not going to win that, uh, especially when your talent is in as great as other teams. Like, the margin for error is so so minute. You can't do things that hurt your team. So, um, But just talking to some of the players after that game, like, they're excited to play Miami again because they felt like they let one get away. And we were just talking about this earlier. Like, the, the Jets have – hadn't had a division win in almost two years. So, like, what better way to write the ship to get revenge on a team that you felt like you gave them the game, they didn't take it from you, and to get a division away. Two birds, one – I mean, I know probably with Peter we can't say that right now. You can't two, say that? Two birds, one stone. It's probably – you know, I – it is what it is. Two birds, one stone, I guess. I, thought, <laughs> I, I think it's okay. I, 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 I don't know. How are you going to use the backs this week if Carter yes. and Coleman are both 100%? That's the thing, right? That's another thing I wanted to say. They have to run the ball. Like last week, 17 attempts is not enough. You're um, never going to win. You're never going to win a game. And actually, you know, Michael Primo actually had a few good runs. I think he had seven carries for 28 yards. So he averaged over four yards a carry. Um, I think you with this offensive line um, – you have to try to establish the run and get the run game going. And 
Also, you're going to have Michael Carter back, who's a viable receiver out of the backfield. Uh, you got to try to get him in one-on-one situations. Do you keep P. Ryan up, by the way? I think you have to, right? Um, I would not would be you go with those three? I would not be surprised if Ty Johnson was down this week. Okay. Um, I just think P. Ryan ran the ball hard um, with the few opportunities he got in the game. Now, the thing with P. Ryan, obviously, I saw after breaking down the field, there some things in protection – that he needs to still learn and pick up. Uh, I don't think they trust him 100% in pass protection. I think that's why Ty Johnson continued. That's why we're paying you the big bucks, bro. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's why, besides them only having two backs, I think that's why Ty Johnson continued to get as much work as he did, especially when the Jets went down because he knows more of the protection game um, than LaMichael P. Ryan does. And even though I know this sounds bad because he had a tough day with his hands, but he's – Probably more depth to catch it exactly, out of the and he's a better athlete out of the backfield catching yeah. the football. But with this week, with Tevin Coleman and you know, and people tend to forget this, Tevin Coleman was technically a third down back in Atlanta. Like when he was there, like Freeman wasn't a third down back, Tevin Coleman was. Uh, so he has that skill set as well. And then we know what Michael Carter can do at the backfield. I would not be surprised to see P. P- Ryan be the third back this week. But from I know you want the Jets to run the ball. Yep. You've been stressing it. Mm-hmm. Is that why you go P. Ryan, too? Because you want to play a power attack this week? Is that, is that what we're looking at? I mean, but I think you can get that with Tevin Coleman. And, we, and, no. we, and we've talked about this. He's like shot out of a cannon every time he gets the ball. He runs the ball downhill and physical. Love him. So, um, but, I, yeah, I think P. Ryan should get at least like five carries this week. You know, spell out Tevin Coleman. And, and, my, and Michael Carter's coming off injury, so we can't forget that. It's not like he's going to get the normal workload that he's used to And getting. you talked about the humidity. Yeah, and it's going to be hot, so you're going to have to rotate guys. So, yeah, I just want to see this offensive line, you know, establish the run this week. And, um, you know, games that they've, you know, played well in, you know, the first game versus New England when they had a chance to win, they ran the ball. Versus the Houston Texans, they were able to run the football. Yes. Tevin Coleman versus the Eagles was running the heck out of the pill. He was. Um, so, like, games that you've had chances to win, the, the Jets have been able to – you know, somewhat had some type of running game besides the um, the Tennessee game. Um, so, like, you have to establish a run. You got to take some pressure off this young quarterback uh, because he's gonna ha- he's gonna have enough on his plate with the looks the defense is gonna give him from Miami. Uh, last game was that game plan specific in terms of getting your slot guys the ball, or are you just gonna go to? people who are productive and making plays for you. Yeah, I You're mean, talking about versus the Dolphins the last uh, No, game? no, last or? game against uh, New Orleans. I know okay. it's a week-to-week league. You're going to change yeah. up your game plan. I- I'm specifically talking about Braxton Berrios had 10 targets last yeah, week, yeah. and he led the team in receptions. I believe Crowder ended up with three receptions. Keelan Cole, just one reception. But, again, he's kind of just working his way back into yeah. the lineup. I know Denzel Mims had a game that – the Jets want him to learn from. Yeah. yeah you know, so I, I just I think that was just a trust factor, honestly. I think Zach just trusts Braxton. And he's you think earned, that's what it is? I think he's earned the right, too, because uh, I think the coaching staff trusts Braxton because they, they literally designed plays for him last week. Yes. Even the plays that that they, he didn't get the ball, like the, the flat play to the, the screen pass he had, that Zach, you know, one hop to him. Like, that was designed for Braxton to get the ball, and I think he's earned that right. Um, not only for what he's done in the return game, but when every time he's been in the offense, whether it's an end around, a reverse, a screen play, he makes positive plays happen. So I think that was just a trust factor with your two top receivers out. Uh, who do we trust right now on this roster to to make plays for us? And I think Braxton Berrios is the guy. And I would not be surprised, you know, you know, he went to Miami in college. I would not be surprised if he got 10 more targets this game as well. Yeah, it would be uh, huge to get a big game out of him and – 
maybe Eddie Pinero is in a position to win it. Uh, That'd be big. That'd <laughs> you know, be big. Uh, down the that stretch. fans went crazy when he made the first field goal. Oh yeah, the Bron- uh. the Bronx cheer. You know yeah. those fans. <laughs> you know those fans. But uh, yeah, I think early on in this game is going to tell us a lot. Oh, hundred percent. And you got to think like. The games where the Jets have had a, a chance, they've actually started moderately fast. Like now the Texans game, they didn't start too fast, but they were never like behind big. And even um, the Philadelphia Eagles game, the offense started fast, the defense kind of struggled. So if you want a chance in this game, and, and, and Miami, Miami wants to play a, a close, tight game. Like that's that's what they like all their games this year where they on this five one streak. Feels like they're like gr- grinding. Thirteen seven, twenty seven. Like it's right. been like close, tight knit games. Like. That's how they play because they don't have an explosive offense. Yeah, they have a few explosive weapons on offense when you talk about, you know, Jalen Waddle, but they don't have an explosive offense. They want to matriculate the ball down the field, play good defense. They feel like their defense can, if their defense can hold you under 14 points, that they're most likely going to win the game. What are you doing with Gasicki and Waddle? Yeah, so the, the, the RPO game is big for the Miami Dolphins. If you talk about run pass option, and uh, with Tua being able to fake the zone play, throw the Gaziki in the flat or throw the Gaziki on a quick slant route. And with that big body, he boxes defenders out of the way and he's able to go up and get the ball. So that's big. So the thing is, like, the linebackers just have to be smart, right? You can't just trigger on the run game because they'll throw the ball right, you know, over your head to the receivers. They throw it to Waddle, too, sometimes in the RPO mm-hmm. game. Waddle's a big guy that they like to give the ball to in space and end arounds, reverses, things. They've lined him up in the backfield just so he could be a mismatch on a linebacker coming out. So this is a guy that, that's going to probably get 12 to 13 targets a game because they've been so beat up at receiver. He's been their number one weapon on the outside. They're going to force feed him the ball. And with Gasecki, you have to understand, Tua likes to throw between the hash numbers, between the numbers when it comes to Gasecki. So anything across the middle, like if you see him on crossing routes, drag routes, that's where Tua likes to get him involved in the passing game. So you just got to be aware. Now he'll throw it to him in the flat on the RPO every once in a while, but he really likes to attack with Gasecki down the middle. Flood the middle and uh, make him beat you up top, correct? Beat you up top and then beat you outside of the numbers. Okay. Like make him throw the long throws from one hash mark to the other hash mark. That's where you can have some success against Tua. He's, you know, he's made a few throws the last couple of weeks of the season. He's gained some more confidence. But if I'm, you know, Robert Sala or Jeff Albrecht, I'll live with those plays. Like, you're going to show – got to show me you can do that play in the playoff. Enjoy the game, everybody. We'll see you next week.